Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 31. And we have a full episode for you today. Plenty of stuff to get caught up on. Uh, Big tournament this weekend on the PGA Tour. Uh, A lot of NFL news to get into. Um, Some uh, big NHL announcement. But uh, before we get into anything, I figured I'd mention that this uh, episode was recorded on Thursday, March 11th, which uh, is the one-year anniversary of... Uh, the day that Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz and the NBA tested positive for the coronavirus, uh, which he had that positive test came in right before their game that night. It was uh, Wednesday, March 11th last year, 2020. And that positive test uh, put the NBA on pause and really sent the sports world into a tailspin that frankly, moved faster than the virus itself because the very next day, uh, sports as we knew it came to a screeching halt with every major pro sport, college sport, either canceling or postponing their seasons. Uh, And since that day, sports has become a very good barometer of how close our return to normalcy is uh, by not allowing fans to now allowing partial fans to Uh, Here coming up soon, uh, we'll get into this today. There will be some teams that are allowing full capacity in their stadiums here soon. So just like everything else, sports has been forced to change their protocols in unimaginable ways. But uh, collectively, uh, all of the major sports, pro sports, college sports, have have really done a fantastic job at doing that uh, in order to keep our games uh, out there and, and some entertainment for us in the sports world. But... Uh, it just it's crazy that it's been a year already. Can't believe that, but I'm grateful that uh, we're moving past it and looking to be closer than ever to normalcy. But we'll start off like we normally do, and that's of course in the PGA Tour. And last weekend's tournament was the Arnold Palmer Invitational, and that was at Bay Hill Golf Club in Orlando, Florida. It's par seventy-two, and the distance was seven thousand three hundred eighty-one yards. Had a pretty solid field of players, uh, but the most, I guess, significant part of the tournament was that there was a much larger group of spectators around the course for this tournament. Uh, Because if you recall, last year, the Arnold Palmer was the very last golf tournament to be completed in its entirety with fans. uh, Because the Players' Championship Got, only got one round in before being uh, postponed. So the Arnold Palmer Invitational was the last full PGA event uh, with full spectators in the stands. So to see a good number of people out there, of course it wasn't full capacity, but I believe there was probably around 10,000 people there each day. 
which again is just getting us back closer to normalcy. But at the end of the tournament, your winner was Bryson DeChambeau with a score of 11 under par. Uh, it was DeChambeau's eighth career victory on tour, and he became the 23rd golfer to uh, win the Arnold Palmer after having won a major championship. Uh, his first and third rounds were really good. He fired a, a, an opening round uh, 67, which is 5-under, and then uh, on Saturday he had a 4-under 68. And then... Uh, his second and fourth rounds, uh, so Friday and Sunday, he only shot one under 71s. Uh, he was just an absolute monster with the driver all tournament. In fact, uh, on, in rounds three and four, Saturday and Sunday, on the uh, par five sixth, he aimed his drive over the big uh, pond, I guess you would call it, and was able to hit his drive, each of his drives those days, over 370 yards, clearing the water in the air uh, on a par five. Just an absolute beast of a drive. Uh, He is the longest driver on tour, and that gives him a substantial advantage on those kind of holes. But um, he won with a score of 11 under par. Uh, Second place was Lee Westwood, one shot back at 10 under par. Now, Lee Westwood... He was actually in contention all day on Sunday, uh, despite shooting a 1 over 73. Now, he was only in contention because of his Saturday round of uh, 65, 7 under. So he kind of shot up the leaderboard Saturday and put himself in a good spot. Uh, He just went 1 over on Sunday. Um, He hasn't won on the PGA Tour in over 10 years. He was a really consistent golfer back in those days, so uh, it was good to see... Uh, Lee Westwood kind of hang around with one of these new young guns that uh, is, can hit the ball a mile. Uh, third place was Corey Connors, eight under par, uh, three shots back of DeChambeau. Corey Connors was actually tied for the 18-hole lead, uh, but uh, put together uh, some mediocre rounds on Friday and Saturday and then went two over on Sunday to really just fall back. Uh, but there was a three-way tie for fourth place at six under par. The first golfer there was Andrew Putnam, and he wasn't flashy at all. Uh, In fact, his worst round of the tournament was even par, so he played pretty well, but that was one of the more under-the-radar T4s that I've ever seen because I I watched quite a bit of the weekend rounds on Saturday and Sunday, and I'm not sure that I even saw any one of his shots. I don't know if they showed a single shot of his on TV, uh, and somehow he ends up here at T4. But uh, the other one of the other golfers at 6-under was Richie Wierenski. Uh, Wierenski actually made a late charge on Sunday. He had two birdies and an eagle in five of his last six holes uh, before bogeying the 18th. So... Kind of made a late charge, but uh, he was far enough back from DeChambeau that that bogey on 18 really didn't cost him anything but uh, money. Uh, Jordan Spieth was the third golfer at six under par, tied for fourth. And again, we see another tournament where Spieth played really well uh, throughout the entirety of the tournament and had another top five, top ten finish. So I, I think it's safe to say 
that Spieth is back. Uh, he actually had a he, he was tied for the lead at 10 under par a few holes into his final round on Sunday, but he ended up bogeying three of his final four holes on Sunday to uh, really kind of drop back. But Spieth was tied for the lead uh, a few holes into that final round. So it's good to see Jordan Spieth back. It's good for golf. Uh, Spieth is a great golfer. He's a great, uh, great dude. So it's good to see him finally back after a couple years of, of really struggling. But let's check out Rick's picks to click from the Arnold Palmer. The first one I gave you was Matthew Fitzpatrick. Um, he had been playing pretty well of late. His last three finishes were T17, T5, and T11. So uh, he's historically played well at Bay Hills, so I like for him to finish uh, inside that top 25, and he did that. He finished tied for 10th at 3-under. And he was actually in contention after the first three rounds. Uh, he was he was on the upper part of the leaderboard uh, after the first three rounds, but fell apart on Sunday with a two over 74, uh, which included two double bogeys. So he was able to uh, work some birdies in there on Sunday, but uh, ended up finishing at two over 74 to drop him down to three under for the tournament. But he did finish at T10, so he is a click. My second pick to click was Victor Hovland. And Hovland came into this thing being the hottest golfer in the world. Uh, he had finished no worse than sixth than any of his previous seven starts to this tournament, including a, a win, a couple of T2s, a T3, and a T5. Um, he was just rocking and rolling. Uh, playing really good golf, and I like for him to not only uh, click inside that top 25, but I like for him to win. And talk about a collapse. Uh, he was actually 7-under after Friday's second round. So Victor Hovland was, I believe that was third, uh, third place uh, in the, in the, on the leaderboard, after Friday's second round. So he was up there. Uh, and then on Saturday, came out and fired a 5-over 77. And not to be outdone with that, came out on Sunday and fired a 6-over 78. Just complete and utter disaster on the weekend. He had three double bogeys on Sunday and one double bogey on Saturday. Just completely fell apart. And that sank him down from 7-under after two rounds to finishing at 4-over par for the tournament, which was tied for 49th. So it was looking like he was going to be in contention to win uh, one minute, and then the next, he just completely uh, fell apart. So he finished at T49, so I did miss on Hovland. But my final pick to click was Bryson DeChambeau, who we just talked about. He won with a score of 11 under par. Uh, played really good. You know, obviously just mashed the ball. That gave him a big advantage. Played really well. Uh, when when Bryson's putter and his irons are on uh, like they were at the Arnold Palmer this past weekend, uh, he is very difficult to beat just because of the way that he can hit the ball off of the tee. Um, so obviously clicked on him. Uh, I clicked on two of the three picks this week or this past week at the Arnold Palmer, so uh, including the winner. Uh, haven't picked a winner in a little while, so... Uh, it was nice to get back on that. But this weekend's tournament is the Players' Championship, which 
is held at TPC Sawgrass in Punta Vedra Beach, Florida. The course is a par 72, distance is 7,189 yards. And TPC Sawgrass is, of course, one of the most iconic uh, golf courses in the world with that 17th hole. That's the Island Green. Uh, You've all seen it. Uh, Just an extremely difficult hole. And a lot of balls go in the water uh, throughout the tournament. And uh, it's just, it's a beautiful course um, all, all the way around. But this is the biggest purse of the year. Uh, some people call this tournament the fifth major, even though it's not technically a major. Uh, the winnings are actually more than you would win if you do win a major. So uh, big field here. 28 of the top 30 in the world are going to be out there. 48 of the top 50 in the world. Uh, Brooks Kepka, he's a top 10 golfer in the world. He actually had to withdraw due to a, a right knee strain. And his status uh, and for the Masters coming up uh, in a month is in doubt, which is not good because Kepka had just gotten over that knee injury. He won the Waste Management Phoenix Open about a month or month and a half ago. He was looking really good. So that sucks that he's hurt. Uh, but Danny Willett was the other one, uh, former Masters champion Danny Willett. He had to withdraw due to a positive COVID test. So 48 out of the top 50 golfers in the world are going to be out there. And like I mentioned uh, a little bit ago, the the pandemic actually started during this tournament last year. Uh, They were able to play Thursday's round, uh, but uh, had to postpone the rest of the tournament when the entire sports world shut down. Uh, So, But the 2019 winner was Rory McIlroy, and that was the last time that a full Players' Championship was played. So uh, technically, Rory McIlroy is your defending champion. Now, let's check out Rick's picks to click for the uh, the Players' Championship. Start off with Tommy Fleetwood. He's ranked number 21 in the world. He's coming off a T10 at Bay Hill last week. And he's really historically played well at TPC Sawgrass. In fact, in 2019, uh, last time this tournament was uh, played in its entirety, he co-led the tournament after each of the first two rounds uh, and ended up finishing T5 that year. And you back it up to 2018, he finished T7 here at the players. So he's got the all-around game to compete. He really hasn't made a whole lot of noise uh, in a while. So I think now is a prime opportunity for Fleetwood to uh, make his presence felt. And I think he'll finish inside the top 25. My second pick to click is Colin Morikawa. He's number four in the world. He took last week off, didn't play at Bay Hill after he won the World Golf Championship at the concession. So he's rested. Uh, He's last start was a victory and in that victory he led the field in strokes gained approach the green and strokes gained tee to green and if he plays like he did at the concession uh, he's got a great chance to win uh, the, he's very smooth with his his driver um, he, his swing is smooth he does have uh, he has been known to have some inconsistencies with it in terms of hitting the uh, fairways but uh, when he plays like he did uh, at the concession a couple weeks ago, he is very difficult to beat. But my final pick to click for the Players' Championship is John Rahm. 
Rahm's number two in the world rankings, and he was actually the 54-hole leader back in 2019 uh, before going four over in that final round to finish at T12. But um, as far as his recent golf, he's he's been one of the better golfers here in the last six to eight months, if you go back to the FedEx Cup playoffs. Uh, he co-leads the PGA Tour with five top tens uh, this season, and his most recent was a few weeks ago at Riviera. But Rom, he's another one. He can mash the ball, and when he's got the full package going, uh, driver, irons, putter, uh, he is very, very tough to beat. But we'll move over to the National Basketball Association and the NBA. Uh, as of this recording, uh, the games uh, for the second half of the season are just starting back up. So there's there's no need to do a standings update on that. Uh, they are basically the same as they were uh, last week's episode due to the All-Star break. But we did, in fact, have the All-Star game this weekend. And I had talked about that a bunch leading up to it with the format and everything. But before the All-Star game even took place, weird kind of story came out. Uh, Philadelphia 76ers All-Stars Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, they had come into contact with a barber who had tested positive for COVID. So the NBA ended up ruling them out of the All-Star game uh, basically at the last minute. So they were not able to participate. And, of course, all the players had to get tested and all that. They weren't allowed to leave basically the hotel or anything like that. So uh, the NBA came out and announced that uh, after the All-Star Game festivities, uh, no players, coaches, or officials have tested positive uh, while they were in Atlanta for the All-Star Game. So uh, the event uh, was a success all the way around. Uh, But the actual game itself, you had uh, Team LeBron versus Team Durant. And Team LeBron beat Team Durant 170 to 150. Very high scoring game. Uh, The MVP of the game was Milwaukee Bucks forward Giannis Antetokounmpo. He went 16 of 16 shooting, including 3 of 3 from beyond the arc. Uh, Had 35 points. Was your game MVP. First player in NBA All-Star Game history to have 100% shooting percentage with more than 10 shots taken. So uh, Giannis normally doesn't pull up from beyond the arc uh, very much, but he did three times and hit all three of them. So it was just a special day for him. The leading scorers for each team, uh, for Team LeBron, Giannis had 35, like I just said. Dame Lillard, Portland Trailblazers, had 32. And Steph Curry, the Golden State Warriors, had 28 points. For Team Durant, Bradley Beal of the Washington Wizards had 26 points. Kyrie Irving of the Brooklyn Nets had 24 points. And James Harden of the Brooklyn Nets and Jason Tatum of the Boston Celtics both had 21 points uh, in the loss. The three-point contest and the skills competition took place before the game actually started. And the winner of the three-point contest was none other than, of course, Steph Curry. Uh, the dude is just a three-point machine, and you got to see that on full display in that three-point contest. Uh, the skills competition winner 
was, surprisingly, it was DeMontis Sabonis of the Indiana Pacers. Uh, He beat out Nikola Vucevic in that final round. Uh, Luka Doncic for the Mavericks was in it, and he got ousted in the first round. So very uh, disappointing showing for Doncic. Uh, And he only had eight points in the game, too. But, yeah, DeMontis Sabonis was your skills comp winner. The slam dunk contest featured three guys that didn't even get voted into the All-Star game. But the winner of that was Anthony Simmons uh, of the Portland Trailblazers. But with the All-Star victory, LeBron James is 4-0 in All-Star games that in which he has drafted the team that has won. So LeBron as a GM for All-Star games is 4-0, which is pretty impressive. And I don't think that that is a mistake. Uh, LeBron's the best player in the league and has been realistically since he came into it some 17 years ago. And since the All-Star game was a high-scoring game, like I just mentioned, I thought that this nugget would fit right in here uh, because the first half of the season is over, obviously. The second half starting up this week. A couple games have already been played, actually. But NBA teams so far this season are averaging 112.2 points per game. And if they finish the season uh, at that number it would be the highest scoring average uh, across the league in the last 50 years. So the way that the NBA is played now, it's you got big guys that can shoot a three, pull up from anywhere, and you just have to outscore the other team. Forget about playing defense. That doesn't exist. It's how many points can you score uh, because you need to score in bunches from three-point, half court, wherever these guys pull up from. But that's that's the way the new NBA is. So, uh, And I would, based on what I've seen so far uh, from the NBA, I don't have any reason to suspect that that 112.2 wouldn't hold up. Uh, I, think, I think that we are going to see the highest scoring NBA season uh, per team uh, in the last 50 years. But we'll have to stay tuned on that. Second half is starting up this week. And um, we got, we'll be in for a good finish. The Western Conference is extremely competitive, and the Eastern Conference is extremely top-heavy. So we'll have to see how that uh, gets figured out. But uh, NBA is rocking and rolling on that, and uh, they're well on their way to finishing this 72-game regular season. But we'll move on to the National Hockey League. And uh, we have a big announcement for the National Hockey League coming up and around the island. So... We'll just use this segment to talk about the standings update over the last week uh, since our previous episode. Uh, There's been a little bit of movement across some of the divisions. Uh, We'll start off in the Discover Central division. Still the most top-heavy division in hockey, most competitive division in hockey, and uh, it's looking like it is going to be a complete slugfest for this division the rest of the way. Uh, The Tampa Bay Lightning lead the way in the Central right now. Uh, with a record of 18-4-2. Carolina Hurricanes, 18-6-1. They've won six games in a row, the Hurricanes have. They are looking really good. Uh, The Florida Panthers are third at 16-5-4. Chicago Blackhawks, 13-9-5. Columbus Blue Jackets, 10-12-5. 
They're on a two-game skid currently. Nashville Predators, 11-14-1. My Dallas Stars finally got back in the win column. They are 8-8-5. And the Detroit Red Wings are 7-16-4. In the Scotia North Division, Toronto Maple Leafs, they've actually, they're still in first place. They're 18-7-2. They've lost three games in a row. Uh, So they're on a little bit of a a skid right now. Uh, The Edmonton Oilers. They've won three games in a row to move to 17 and 11, second place in the North. Winnipeg Jets are 16, 8, and 1. Montreal Canadiens still holding on to that fourth spot. They're 12, 6, and 7. Vancouver Canucks, 12, 16, and 2. Calgary Flames, 11, 12, and 3. And the Ottawa Senators, 9, 19, and 1. So they are still struggling mightily. In the Mass Mutual East Division, uh, the New York Islanders have put together a six-game win streak. They are 16-6-4, sitting atop the Mass Mutual East Division, 8-1-1 in their last 10 games. Probably the hottest team in the league at the moment. Second place is the Washington Capitals, 15-6-4. Pittsburgh Penguins, 15-9-1. They've won three in a row. The Boston Bruins, 13-6-4. Philadelphia Flyers, 13-7-3. New York Rangers, 10-11-3. New Jersey Devils, 8-11-3. And the Buffalo Sabres bringing up the rear in the east, 6-14-4. Now in the Honda West Division... The Vegas Golden Knights, 16-6-1, even though they're on a two-game skid currently. St. Louis Blues, 14-8-4. Minnesota Wild, 15-8-1. Colorado Avalanche, 14-8-2. Los Angeles Kings, 11-8-6. Arizona Coyotes, 12-10-4. Anaheim Ducks, they've moved up from last. They are now 8-13-6. San Jose Sharks, 9-11-3. So, Sharks are struggling. Um, NHL's 56 games regular season this year. Uh, majority of the teams, uh, the, the Dallas Stars have still played the fewest games in the NHL with 21. Uh, and then the team that's played the most games uh, looks like the Vancouver Canucks with 30 games played. So a little bit of a difference there, but most most games, uh, most teams have played around 25 or so games. So we are uh, quickly approaching the halfway point of the NHL season. So uh, it's shaping up to be a good one. A lot of good teams this year. And the way that the playoff format is, it should make it even more exciting uh, than a standard playoff format. But we'll move over to our segment called Around the Island. And that is, of course, where we do some quick hit topics from around the various sports. And we'll start off in Major League Baseball. Spring training is uh, well underway. And I talked last week about the format of how these spring training games are shortened, at least up until March 14th. And once March 14th rolls around uh, this week, uh, this weekend rather, all the games are going to go back to the regular nine innings uh, with Uh, the uh, format being like a normal baseball game, except for the fact that pitchers can 
uh, re-enter the game after they've been removed. But the big news out of Major League Baseball this past week was that uh, my Texas Rangers, they came out and announced that they are set to allow full capacity of fans at Globe Life Field this season. And opening day is just a few short weeks away. And Texas Governor Greg Abbott uh, came out last week and ended the mask mandate, opened Texas up at 100%. Um, And so the Texas Rangers came out and released a team statement that said, quote, The Rangers are encouraged that the governor's office has given clearance for us to fully open Globe Life Field at the start of the 2021 Major League Baseball season. Close quote. So uh, the Rangers are wasting no time going ahead and allowing full capacity uh, of fans into the ballpark this year, which is great because last year they built that brand new Globe Life Field is a brand new, uh, brand new venue, and the Rangers played in it last year empty for the course of the regular season. Uh, now, the Globe Life Field did host the National League Championship Series and the World Series in the playoffs, which did allow fans. So uh, Globe Life Field has seen some fans, but we will get to see a full complement of fans at Globe Life Field this year, which definitely uh, makes me happy because I do plan on going out to uh, some Rangers games this year and checking that ballpark out. Uh, but uh, we'll move over to the National Football League, and there was some huge news out of the NFL this week, and that involved my Dallas Cowboys uh, and quarterback Dak Prescott. The two have been battling for about two and a half years now on a contract negotiation, contract extension for Dak Prescott, and this this week they finally were able to come to a conclusion the evening before the franchise tag deadline day. So Dak and the Cowboys agreed on a four-year, $160 million contract uh, with $126 million of that guaranteed. Now, Prescott is going to get $75 million of that $160 in the first year of his deal, including $66 million as a signing bonus, which is the largest signing bonus in NFL history, ahead of Russell Wilson's $65 million, Aaron Rodgers' $57.5 million, Matt Stafford's $50 million, and Matt Ryan's $46.5 million. So Dak uh, at $66 million for a signing bonus is uh, holding the record currently. Now, his average annual value of that contract is obviously $40 million. $160 million over four years. The average annual value is $40 million, which is second in NFL history behind Patrick Mahomes' $45 million average annual value. And then the next two closest behind that, behind Dak, are... Uh, Deshaun Watson at $39 million and Russell Wilson at $35 million. And, of course, both of those guys have been um, some talks of some trade rumors going on here lately. But Dak is eff- effectively the second-highest-paid quarterback in the league behind Patrick Mahomes. Now, the salary cap hit for Dak's contract this season is only $22.2 million, which is 12% of the salary cap. The NFL released a salary cap official number, which we'll get into here in a minute. But the franchise tag would have paid Dak Prescott $37.7 million this year. So the Cowboys are actually saving over 15, about $15.5 million 
just this season on Dak Prescott uh, by signing him to this contract, which benefits them substantially because the salary cap is a lot lower this year than it has been. Now, I love Dak Prescott. I think he's a good, solid top 10 quarterback in the NFL. Um, He has a playoff win. His record is pretty good overall. Um, He catches a lot of flack about not winning big games, which is true. Uh, His record against teams above 500 is is not great compared to his record against teams below 500. And, of course, the Cowboys haven't made it out of the first round of the playoffs. uh, Well, the one playoff game Dak won took him uh, to the uh, divisional round. And so the Cowboys haven't been out of the divisional round of the playoffs in the last 25 years. But... Dak Prescott, just to put his performance thus far, he's made 69 career starts so far in the NFL. And through their first 69 starts, all right, Dak Prescott versus Peyton Manning. Here are the numbers, just to put it in perspective. Dak Prescott has 106 touchdown passes, 40 interceptions. Peyton Manning had 120 touchdowns 86 interceptions so more than double what Dak Prescott is uh, interceptions passing yards uh, Dak Prescott 17,634 Peyton Manning 17,698 completion percentage in their first 69 games Dak Prescott 66 percent Peyton Manning 61.3 percent winning percentage in their first 69 starts Dak Prescott 0.609, so 60, almost 61% win percentage. Peyton Manning, 52% win percentage. Quarterback rating, Dak Prescott, 97.3. Peyton Manning, 85.6. Now, I'm not sitting here saying that Dak Prescott is the next Peyton Manning or that he's better than Peyton Manning, okay? So don't confuse that. But what I I am saying is that Dak, Dak Prescott has proved enough so far that he is an elite quarterback and he is deserving of an elite quarterback contract and he just got what the going rate is for quarterbacks because Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen those seem to be the two next high profile quarterbacks that are due up for an extension I guarantee you one of those two is probably going to have a, a contract higher than Dak Prescott's okay so um I love this signing for the Cowboys. I think it was essential. Uh, You saw what happened when Dak went out of the lineup last year. The Cowboys just completely fell apart. Their offense was putrid. Uh, No leadership. Uh, That's the one thing you cannot put a price tag on is leadership. And Dak Prescott is one of the best leaders uh, at the quarterback position that I've seen. And uh, we didn't really have a better option, okay, if we're being honest, Cowboys fans. It's not like we were going to re-sign Andy Dalton. Uh, It's not like, you know, we're going to draft a rookie at number 10 overall that would just come in and and give us a better chance to win than than Prescott. So um, we're not trading for Deshaun Watson and mortgaging the future and draft picks and all that, or Russell Wilson for that matter. So I think this is probably the best the Cowboys could have done with what they were working with. So uh, I applaud the Cowboys for getting this deal done. Prescott's basically making the same amount of money as Deshaun Watson and just a tad more than Russell Wilson. Um, but, again, like I said, it's 
the Cowboys' poor performance last year was not due to Dak Prescott. It was due to that horrific defense uh, that will be addressed this offseason. But you saw in the five games that Dak Prescott was healthy, uh, the dude was on pace to pass for 6,000 yards. Um, In fact, he led the NFL in passing yards uh, even two weeks after he was hurt and didn't even play. So that tells you the kind of prolific offense uh, that the Cowboys have when Prescott's in the lineup. So you just can't replace that. So I'm looking forward to this season. Dak Prescott said yesterday in the press conference he's he's uh, he's healthy and he'll be even healthier when the season starts and training camp gets going. And he'll be ready to rock and roll. But that deal got done uh, Monday, March 8th, which was the day before the franchise tag deadline day of March the 9th. And some notable names to get the franchise tag, Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receiver Chris Godwin, uh, Carolina Panthers offensive tackle Taylor Moton, who has since signed a one-year deal with the Panthers, Uh, New York Giants defensive end Leonard Williams, Jacksonville Jaguars offensive tackle Cam Robinson, Chicago Bears wide receiver Allen Robinson, uh, Washington football team offensive lineman Brandon Scherf, who actually had the tag placed on him last year as well, and a couple of safeties, one from the New York Jets, Marcus May, and one from the New Orleans Saints, Marcus Williams. Now, some names who did not get the franchise tag and are now free agents are Green Bay Packers running back Aaron Jones, uh, Detroit Lions wide receiver Kenny Galladay, Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster. Pittsburgh Steelers linebacker Bud Dupree. Los Angeles Chargers tight end Hunter Henry. Seattle Seahawks running back Chris Carson. Seattle Seahawks cornerback Shaquille Griffin. And Tennessee Titans tight end Jonu Smith. So they are all free agents. Um, I would expect a couple of those guys maybe to, to re-sign. I know... Aaron Jones, uh, he might re-sign with the Packers, but some big-name players there on the free agent market. And there's also been some some releases of players due to salary cap casualties. Kansas City Chiefs, they released both of their offensive, uh, starting offensive tackles, including Eric Fisher, who was the number one overall pick back in 2013. So they're going to have to address that in a big way this year in the draft and in free agency uh, in order to keep Patrick Mahomes upright because you saw in that Super Bowl what happened when Eric Fisher wasn't in that lineup. Mahomes was running all over the place. But uh, there were a couple of free agent signings so far, uh, some bigger name free agent signings. Houston Texans, they signed running back Mark Ingram to a one-year deal worth up to $3 million. So uh, kind of a low-risk, high-reward type signing for the Texans who are trying to put stuff around Watson. Um, But the other notable free agent signing was Buffalo Bills linebacker Matt Milano. He re-signed with Buffalo on a four-year, $44 million deal that has $24 million guaranteed. He's a key piece of that Buffalo defense. And, of course, Buffalo figures to be in the AFC uh, title mix this season as well. Now... There were two trades uh, in the NFL this past week as well. Tennessee Titans, they sent their first-round pick from last year, Isaiah Wilson. He's an offensive lineman. He he only played in a few games for the Titans this year. He got suspended, all kinds of issues with him. They traded him in a seventh-round pick in 2022 to the Miami Dolphins in exchange for a seventh-round pick 
this year. And the other trade um, involved the Las Vegas Raiders and the New England Patriots. The Raiders traded offensive tackle Trent Brown and a seventh-round pick in 2022 to the Patriots in exchange for a fifth-round pick in 2022. Now, I mentioned this a bit ago, the salary cap. The NFL and the NFLPA, they agreed on the official 2021 salary cap number, okay? And that number is $182.5 million, which is an 8% decrease uh, from last season. So money is going to be tight this year uh, for the salary cap. Now, it is... Salary cap is expected to go up substantially over the next couple seasons when uh, the new TV contracts are figured out. But uh, for now, it's at least this season, it's an 8% decrease. Now, a sidetrack on that for my fellow Dallas Cowboys fans, the Cowboys have actually restructured the contracts of the big three offensive linemen, Zach Martin, Tyron Smith, Lyle Collins, which has created $17 million in cap space which is in addition to the $15.5 million that they saved by getting that deal done with Dak Prescott. So Cowboys have quite a bit of cap space, uh, probably more than they were expecting to have, uh, and let's hope they finally make some moves in free agency and figure this out because they have the 10th overall pick and they can improve in the draft, but if they can sign a couple good free agents, we can get this thing back on the right track. Uh, some other NFL news, three-time Pro Bowl offensive lineman Kyle Long. Uh, he is unretiring and returning to the NFL, which you don't usually see. Uh, he's currently a free agent, but he retired in January of 2020 after seven NFL seasons, all with the Chicago Bears. Uh, he was drafted 20th overall in 2013, and he had only missed one game in his first three seasons, but he only appeared in 30 games over his final four seasons due to some terrible injuries, which ultimately forced him to retire. Now, uh, this was another free agent signing. Tampa Bay Buccaneers linebacker Levante David. Uh, He was a key piece of that defense in their Super Bowl run this past year. He got signed to a two-year, $25 million deal by the Buccaneers after the Buccaneers chose to use the franchise tag on Chris Godwin instead of him. So uh, they made it right and re-signed him. Big money for a linebacker. Now, the final piece of NFL news, uh, Philadelphia Eagles, their owner, Jeffrey Lurie, he has, quote, instructed the team to prioritize making Jalen Hurts successful rather than hold a quarterback competition. So to me, what that means is that Philly's sitting at that sixth overall pick in the draft, okay? They're going to have their take on one of the big three wide receivers, uh, Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase, or Jalen Waddell, or have a shot at Florida tight end Kyle Pitts. All of them are fantastic athletes, fantastic players, But I think owner Jeffrey Lurie's comments basically are forcing the Eagles to draft one of those four guys at the sixth pick Uh, because, you know, you at the sixth pick, you could probably get a true legit franchise quarterback. Uh, But I guess he views Jalen Hurts as that franchise quarterback, Uh, even after Hurts only made what two and a half starts, I guess, 
and at the end of this past season. So, you know, we'll have to see what the Eagles do, but I would fully suspect that they would take one of those offensive uh, pass catchers in that sixth spot. But we'll move over to the NBA, circle back there. Uh, free agent forward Blake Griffin. He, of course, last episode I talked about he had a mutual contract buyout with the Detroit Pistons, making him a free agent. Well, he went along and signed with the Brooklyn Nets on a contract that is just for the rest of this season. And the Nets are using one of their veteran minimum contract slots for him. And this is just simply a case of the rich getting richer. Um, Blake Griffin's obviously past his prime, but he can still play. And joining Brooklyn, he doesn't really need to play uh, that hard because you got three of the top, uh, three top 10 players in the league uh, on that team. So uh, Griffin will be more of a role player on that team, and I think that'll be good for him. And uh, I picked Brooklyn to uh, win the Eastern Conference, and I'm, I picked them to uh, win the championship uh, on last week's episode when I talked about the second half of the season. So I, I don't see Brooklyn losing, and uh, this signing of Blake Griffin just further solidifies my belief that uh, the Brooklyn Nets will win the NBA title this year. Uh, but the San Antonio Spurs, they, are, uh, ha- they have a- mutually agreed with uh, their forward LaMarcus Aldridge uh, on a uh, trade Situation. Basically, Aldridge wants out of San Antonio. San Antonio wants to get rid of him. So they've mutually engaged um, uh, in talks with other teams about uh, trades. So I would look for LaMarcus Aldridge to be a member of another team very soon, which is an interesting move because the, the Spurs are currently in a playoff spot as we sit here. But uh, that that's interesting. He's he's as low. He's only averaging 14 points and five rebounds a game this season, which is a lot lower than what he normally does. But uh, so that's interesting there on the on the front of the Spurs. But I talked about the Texas Rangers earlier. In baseball opening their season at full capacity at Globe Life Field. Well, Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban he came out and he said that. Uh, he expects to allow fans in the American Airlines Center at full capacity for Mavericks games uh, by the end of this season. And the Mavs, just like the Rangers, were the first MLB team to announce full capacity in their stadium. The Mavericks are the first NBA team to announce uh, full capacity or the plan of full capacity, uh, which is another step towards the return of normalcy like I keep talking about. But I'm all for it, you know, and here's the deal. I've, I've worked through this entire pandemic. Uh, I've, I've worn a mask and I've got both my vaccinations. More people are getting the vaccination now. Um, they're readily available. Uh, you can go get one if you want. I would encourage it. But if you're scared to go out in public, then stay home. But don't bitch about other people doing it or about sports teams opening up their venues. Masks are going to be required inside the venue, I'm sure. Okay, so if you don't want to go to the game, then don't. But I think it's time that we open this stuff up. Sporting events, especially with baseball being outdoors. And and hell, even basketball, it's indoors. But you know what? There's enough room in that place. Just open it up 100%. Wear a mask. And if masks truly are supposed to work, then we shouldn't have any issues, right? That's just my two cents on that whole issue. But... 
We'll move over to the National Hockey League. I, I told you there was some big news out of the NHL. Well, that big news is the fact that the NHL and ESPN have agreed on a seven-year contract to bring NHL hockey back to the ESPN network. The NHL had signed a 10-year deal with NBC uh, and their affiliate, NBC Sports Network, back in April of 2011. And so that deal is set to expire here at the end of this season. So ESPN reached out to the NHL. They got a deal done. And that new deal with ESPN is going to start next season. And you'll have the Stanley Cup Finals televised on ABC, which, of course, is in the ESPN family of networks. There's going to be 25 uh, regular season games per per year on ESPN with over 1,000 regular season games per year on ESPN+. Plus. So if you're a hockey fan and you do not have ESPN+, Plus, I would highly suggest you uh, pay for that subscription. It is well worth it, more so than just hockey. It goes far beyond that. Uh, but the deal with ESPN also gets the NHL All-Star Game and NHL All-Star Skills Competition Games uh, events broadcasted on ESPN as well. Uh, but we'll move, move over to NCAA and college football. And the big news last week was Kansas head coach Les, uh, Les Miles, right? Um, he had been placed on administrative leave for some inappropriate conduct that uh, he had been a part of back in 2013 when he was the head coach of LSU. And it didn't get found out about until uh, now. And so he was placed on administrative leave. But since then, in this past week, he, Les Miles, and the university have mutually agreed to part ways, so he is no longer the coach of Kansas. Now, in the wake of that announcement, Kansas Athletic Director Jeff Long, he has actually stepped down from his position as Athletic Director as well. Now, Jeff Long had hired Les Miles back in 2018. They kind of had a long-standing relationship from previous universities that they had worked at. Uh, but Long said that he was unaware of any allegation of misconduct at the time that he hired Miles in 2018, which is probably true. Um, you know, I, I I figured if something that of that nature would have been public before now, this he wouldn't have even been hired at Kansas. But uh, either way, just a nasty situation going on there at the University of Kansas probably not going to help their football recruiting status. Uh, But the other, uh, some other NCAA football news is kind of dealing with the NFL draft. Uh, Well, the first part is that uh, Power 5 schools are are starting to have their pro days. Uh, I remember several episodes ago I talked about how the NFL scouting combine is not going to happen this year. Uh, Normally it's held in Indianapolis, and the players do their workouts there in one central location. Uh, and then do different workouts on their pro days. Well, this year, Combine's not happening due to the pandemic, so um, the pro day workouts at the individual universities are going to be regimented, uh, basically under the authority of the uh, NFL Combine. So um, Combine workouts or pro day workouts are already underway, um, so that's exciting because we'll get some times and some numbers and we'll start to see some draft stocks rise and fall here uh, once these pro days get get through. But uh, Mel Kuyper Jr., he is ESPN's 
senior NFL draft analyst. Okay, uh, him and Todd McShay are the are the two top dogs, but Mel Kiper's been um, analyzing the NFL draft prospects for forty something years. I want to say forty three years, long time. And he came out this past week with a list of his top 10 all-time highest-graded quarterbacks coming out of college, which I just thought was interesting. So we'll go through it. Now, keep in mind that this list is based strictly on Mel Kuyper's pre-draft grades uh, that he gives each player, and it's not based on how well each quarterback panned out in the NFL or how they turned out. And you'll see there were a couple of busts uh, on this list in the NFL, but uh, here is Mel Kiper Jr.'s all-time highest-graded quarterbacks coming out of college. Number one, John Elway from Stanford, drafted number one overall in 1983. Number two is Andrew Luck, also from Stanford, drafted number one overall in 2012. Number three is Peyton Manning from Tennessee, drafted number one overall in 1998. Number four, Trevor Lawrence from Clemson. He is going to be drafted number one overall here in about a month in 2021. Number five is Jim Kelly from the University of Miami. Drafted number 14 overall in 1983. Same draft as Elway. Andre Ware, number six, from the University of Houston. He was drafted seventh overall in 1990. Number seven is Drew Bledsoe from Washington State, drafted number one overall in 93. Number eight is Ryan Leaf, also from Washington State, drafted number two overall in 98. Number nine is Troy Aikman from UCLA, drafted number one overall in 1989. And number 10, Josh Allen from the University of Wyoming, drafted number seven overall in 2018. So I just thought that list was pretty interesting. You see a couple guys from the 98 draft, a couple guys from the 83 draft, and then you have one guy from this year's draft in Trevor Lawrence, uh, who is ranked fourth on that list. So to put it in perspective of of how highly graded Trevor Lawrence is, um, you know, he's he's graded ahead of some some Hall of Fame caliber quarterbacks. But uh, we'll go zip over back to the PGA Tour. Uh, a couple of interesting notes there. Uh, this weekend, uh, we talked about the Players' Championship earlier, uh, but the PGA announced this week that it is setting up an internal out-of-bounds uh, spot at TPC Sawgrass, basically preventing players from taking a potential alternate route on the 18th hole. Uh, so this is totally in response to Bryson DeChambeau hitting it 370 yards last week multiple times, uh, over the water on that par five sixth hole, uh, which left him less than a hundred yards to go. So this rule is literally created uh, so that Bryson can't hit it over the water on the 18th hole. Now, the PGA did not mention Bryson DeChambeau by name, but uh, the articles that I've read they're nicknaming it the Bryson Rule. And but the PGA came out and said that it was created quote, in the interest of safety for spectators and other personnel. So they're saying that it's a safety issue, but in all reality, uh, they're wanting it to make uh, the 18th hole as hard as possible uh, since it is a par five uh, here at TPC Sawgrass. But 
Some other PGA news. Uh, the PGA announced that the 2021 RBC Canadian Open has been canceled due to the ongoing COVID challenges. Of course, the U.S.-Canadian border is still closed at the moment for non-essential travel, so I'm sure that had an impact on it. But uh, Canada is still on somewhat of a lockdown, uh, much more so than the United States is here. But uh, the tournament, RBC Canadian Open, was originally scheduled to be played June 7th through the 13th uh, at the St. George's Golf and Country Club in Etobicoke, Ontario. So the PGA has decided to uh, fill the vacated date with a one-year event here in the United States. There have been no details released on that, but it'll be basically a one-time event. And so from that cancellation, we go over to uh, some some more uh, decent news out of the PGA. The PGA announced that the AT&T Byron Nelson, which is a tournament, it's scheduled for May 13th through the 16th, is going to allow up to 10,000 fans daily uh, on the course. Now, the Byron Nelson is usually held here in Dallas, Texas, at the Trinity Forest Golf Club, all right? But it's this year it's being moved over to TPC Craig Ranch in McKinney, Texas, which is north of Dallas. And, of course, with the Texas Rangers and the Dallas Mavericks now making their announcements that their plan is to be at full capacity for fans in their venues this year, uh, TPC Craig Ranch decided uh, that they're going to allow at least 10,000 fans on the course each day of their tournament, which I think is fitting because that's what we're starting to see. I think 10,000 is kind of a baseline that they're starting off with, I believe, on the PGA, and they'll they'll work their way up from 10,000, but 10,000 people is still a good amount of fans for golf spread across uh, 18 holes, but uh, we'll move over to uh, college basketball for a brief moment. Uh, we don't need to do a rankings update for college basketball because they are playing their conference tournaments as we speak. Uh, so uh, bracketology this is this weekend on Sunday. Sunday evening is the bracketology show on ESPN where the brackets are selected. Um, Joe Lenardi from ESPN kind of headlines that. Now some important news regarding that. Um, Duke University of course, they are one of the more prolific programs in college basketball for both men's and women's. But their men's team, they had a player test positive uh, within the last 24 hours. So uh, they tested positive for COVID. So that makes the Duke Blue Devils ineligible to compete in the rest of the ACC tournament. Now, Duke had won their first ACC tournament game uh, last night uh, before they knew about this positive test. Now, this is very problematic for Duke because their resume is not good enough to get them into the NCAA tournament uh, without winning the ACC tournament. So this effectively ends Duke's season uh, and their consecutive streak of, I believe it's 22 or 23 seasons in a row that they've made the NCAA tournament. So that is a big bummer uh, for Duke, but, you know, this is... We've been having to deal with weird COVID stuff uh, for the last, you know, 12 months. So uh, the stuff like this, the unpredictable stuff is bound to happen. And it just sucks that uh, one of the more premier programs in college basketball is going to be a victim of that. But uh, that's going to wrap up the 31st episode of Sports Island. 
I hope you guys enjoyed it. Again, I appreciate your support and listening to it. This podcast is available on all major podcast platforms, so be sure to rate, review, and subscribe and share the podcast with anybody you know may be interested. Stay safe, be well, and we'll catch you on Sports Island next week.